Thank you for joining us on the Underdog Podcast, the place where we believe at one point in your life, you were an underdog and overcame adversity. And for that reason, we want to hear your story. I am your boy, Calvin Blackman. And I am Kyle Decker. This episode is powered by the Riley Decker Companies. The right decision. For more information, go to RileyDecker.com. Leave your mark. M-A-R-Q. And that's what our guest today has been doing for 20 plus years in women's basketball. Currently the head women's basketball coach at the Marquette University, she defies the odds of what it means to rise to the top as both a player and successful up-and-coming head coach. At only 5'7 and a buck, well, she's still in tip-top shape. This former All-American is now transcending what it means to be a female athlete. Meg, it's an honor to have you on the Underdog Podcast. Thanks for taking some time to join us. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. This is uh, such a treat today to be on with you. Appreciate it. Yeah, we're so excited to have you. Can't wait to learn some knowledge nuggets from you. It's always great to have coaches uh, and, and learn, you know, obviously your journey. But then, like he said, the knowledge nuggets and how what you do on a day-to-day really correlates to, you know, our listeners uh, who are more so maybe in the business world or have some type of competitive background. So, and wait, hold on. I got to jump in because I just learned this. The 937 connection. This is true. So, and I'm not even going to say this, the school because I always butcher, I say Chaminade. Chaminade. Right? Okay, there we go. Shamanad Julian. Mm-hmm. I finally got it right. So after 40 podcasts, Coach <laughs> Duffy, I have it right. So you guys went to the same high school and it's, there we go. It's a way to start off. And, th- and that's where I think let's, let, let's, let's jump into that. Um, with this being the underdog, you know, everyone has a story and has overcome some type of adversity. But before we really get into some adverse moments that you faced in high school, take us back to Megan Duffy early on and how uh, the relentless work ethic and just the hard nose, just competitor was, you know, was born, you know, and, and your love for basketball came about. Well, Calvin, this is this is awesome to kind of reconnect you and I from our from our days back at CJ in Dayton, Ohio. And, and just so everybody knows we had a had a factory down there between the football and girls basketball and a lot, a lot of the sports down there. So um, just just a great high school experience for me. And, you know, I, I know a lot of where I am today. You know, you always look back at your your past through through the good times and the bad times and, you know, kind of figure out that those those moments and those situations and experiences really shape you to where you are today. And and my time, you know, at CJ and in Dayton, um, gosh, I, I, I learned a lot. There was some some fantastic moments of winning. Um, but you alluded to I was I was always that that player and, and just young girl who grew up loving sports. And, you know, our families put us in probably every sport imaginable. And, and just to see, um, you know, what will we end up liking and loving and, and basketball evolved into the sport I, I truly loved. And, you know, I, it didn't take much for my parents to have to push me into it. I just had this this drive to want to get in that gym and go out in the driveway and shoot hoops and work on my ball handling. And, you know, it kind of just started as, sim- as simply as, as that. And then obviously, as you keep moving through the ranks, it gets a whole lot harder and um, you got to kind of defy the odds and, and really put your stamp on, you know, who you want to become. So, so there's a young lady by the name of Tamika Williams, who was late nineties, who was ranked number one in the country, women's basketball in high school, went on to play at UConn and we had our run. And a lot of times when a player like that leaves, it's like, okay, how do we bounce back and recover? Little did we know young Megan Duffy was on her way up and, you know, being two years behind me, 
I did get to get to see you play varsity, you know, for two years and, uh, 1999, you guys, you were part of the state championship team. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about just kind of your high school experience? Uh, and then we'll touch on, you know, the event that happened your senior year that kind of maybe slowed things down a little bit. Absolutely. I, Timmy Williams really started kind of the regime of, of great players coming through CJ. And we also had a fantastic uh, coach in Frank Goldsberry and, and I was a little kid in middle school watching Tamika play and, and just wanted her autograph and was, you know, bouncing around the gym trying to pick up anything I could pick up um, from her. And then I had my opportunity right away to come in as a freshman and, and play. And I'll never forget, you know, I've, I've been through a lot of now pretty cool moments uh, with my playing and coaching career, but, but I'll never forget that freshman year state tournament and, you're at uh, at the time it was at St. John's Arena up in Columbus, and you know the fans were just on on my case about being a freshman and trying to put the pressure on me, and we ended up uh, upsetting a team to win the state championship, and and just getting that medal around your neck was was pretty cool. But uh, I think the big thing that really stood out to me with my initial high school experience was was just how hard we worked, and you know Coach Goldsberry convinced us that if we wanted to have a chance to, to be in any position to cut down nets or, you know, reach any of those goals we talk about at the beginning of the season was the sacrifice and uh, the little things day after day after day you had to do to, to become successful. And um, I mean, those, as everybody trains in different ways, those, those days where you can't get off your knees and you can't feel like you can walk to your car to go home. And um, you know, you're dealing with, you know, just a, a group of young girls who are trying to figure it out, but um, I, I just think nothing was given to us and, uh, you know, we ended up having some pretty good teams over, over the years for sure. And one thing I'm hearing, uh, Megan, is that, or coach Duffy, I got to get used to it, but, or both, I'm, I'm thinking player Megan here. So with, with you at CJ and, and by the way, the factory was, was women's basketball, not football. Um, we won't go into that conversation, <laughs> but you know, consistency, you talked consistency, the approach, the daily grind obviously coaching and mentorship. Can you go into, because everyone thinks, like you said, everything's earned, it's not given. Can you go into that grind and that grit I've heard you, you talk about at the high school level and maybe what you've learned there and obviously it's translated into further success? I just remember really vividly being put in situations that were extremely difficult. Uh, and that was a competitive environment where everything was about winning and losing and how many extra sprints you can run. And if you had any kind of competitive juices, you love that culture and you love that just by that practice. And I learned early on that even if you were one of the better players, you know, coach put us in position that we weren't always going to find success. And he oftentimes made it, you know, almost so hard that you're like, how do we even figure out how to get this done? And, you know, for a 14, 15, 16, 17 year old girl, it seemed like, you know, the hardest thing ever. But I just think it, it allowed me just that that grit, that resiliency to continue to bounce back um, and keep adding things to my individual game, you know, grow my leadership skills. So just even as, as far back as, as high school, I, I still believe the foundation of, you know, being around great coaches and like-minded people. Uh, We never made excuses. We never, you know, kind of laid that victim role of, you know, it was the ref's fault or, you know, she didn't pass me the ball, all that kind of those little catty things that can kind of get in the way of of great championship teams. Uh, It was about, you know, putting that ownership on your own shoulders. And then hopefully that trickles down to the rest of your teammates. And can you talk a little bit about that? I just want to jump in real quick is, 
you know, we, we struggle with this as well. I, I think players, like coming from college players ourselves in high school, like the players have to take ownership and responsibility in like employees. Let's use it as a business example. You have your manager, but if the player or the employee or, you know, the coach versus the player, can you talk about, obviously you were a young leader, you know, uh, playing at CJ and then growing into a seasoned leader by the time, you know, you were a senior. Can you talk about how important it is to have leadership as an employee or a player and then, you know, owning that as a group and holding each other accountable? Yeah, I think, you know, successful teams and organizations and, and programs, it's it's such a combination of so many things that lead to successes or failures, I guess you could say too. And, and I just think, you know, now as a head coach and leader of a program, um, you look at it from that side and then all the way back to when I was a player, I just think you have to continue to take the temperature of, you know, staying in um, the moment individually. How can I improve? You know, how can I buy into the message and the vision of what's going on around us? And, and you got to have that, that great balance with, you know, having this collective group that's going to work together, but then also really push your individuals within your company or your group or your, your team, right? And how can they still flourish and not get held back? Or, you know, so it's the, it's the individual obviously side of it and then grouping it together. So everybody's working towards the same goal. And, you know, I, I think some of the ingredients that, you know, I've learned over the years is just how much time it takes to build those relationships and how much trial and error of, you know, seeing what works and seeing what doesn't. And, and, and like I mentioned before, when you, when you do run into the wall, what, what's going to be your response. And I think everybody does it a little bit different um, on their teams or in their organization, but uh, I think you can find in the most successful ones, those, those people who have that incredible passion and that work ethic, but also that kind of feel of, you know, we're going to make mistakes. It's not always going to be perfect every day. And how can we slowly keep uh, moving forward every day? And all of a sudden, wow, you, by the end, it's, it's all done. You, you turned out to have obviously a pretty good season or, you know, you reached your goals uh, within your company or whatever you're talking about. Now, you just talked about running into a wall. Um, you tore your ACL senior year. Um, ultimately, were able to bounce back and go on and have an extremely successful career at Notre Dame. But you did mention, you know, that that setback, you know, obviously took its toll on you both mentally and physically. Uh, can you touch on just kind of what that did to you as a player and how you were, were able to overcome that? Yeah, uh, our team at the time, my senior year of high school at, at CJ, we were number one in the country and USA Today comes out with the you know national coaching polls, whatever, whatever that means. Um, but we had a heck of a team. I mean, some freshmen that all ended up going on to play D1 ball and um, my kind of uh, wingman, as I say, was Brandy Hoskins, who if anybody remembers her from Ohio State, she could flat out ball. And so it was her and I kind of as upperclassmen and I went down. Um, with a you know, pretty severe knee injury with tearing my ACL. And at the time for a 17 year old, I mean, you think your life's over, you think, you know, everything's been taken away from you. And, you know, I really um, kind of my eyes opened up to more of the mental side of going through an injury or having something really important taken away from you. And the reality is it's out of your control. You, you suffer an injury like that, you know, uh, I mean, there's not much you can do. So, uh, you know, it was supposed to be kind of the best year of probably the high school career and leading this team. And then, kind of, you know, obviously the head of the monster kind of gets cut off with your point guard being, you know, going down with the knee. And, and so I, I faced, um, you know, a little bit of kind of, okay, what's your identity? Is it only basketball? Are you still going to be able to play at Notre Dame? You know, what's, what's your future 
kind of going to look like. And, you know, you look back and it was probably a little bit dramatic with, you know, handling all that. But I, I, uh, I know what I did is I had a lot of great people around me, but I locked into obviously the rehab of, of getting back and doing everything my, my doctors and PT uh, people told me to do. And, you know, and, and probably where I, I, I really couldn't understand or control was just watching your team not have you with them and not having that support again. And, you know, you were verbally trying to say some things and, um, you know, be there for those guys. But it's just, just just not the same sitting on that sideline. But, um, you know, looking back, it was a, a great um, just learning tool for me to, to handle that adversity and be able to bounce back from something. And that, and I think that's so critical. We always talk about the event and obviously that's a tough event. Like you said, I mean, being this, the type of basketball player coming from the factory per se, and, 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 uh, never going to live that being ranked one in the country. Um, but to have that event, right. Of tearing your ACL and then your response, like you said, and all those, uh, you know, things at an early age that she put in is what you're saying, like the rehab, people around you, still being a coach, trying to find your identity. I think that's really important for people to hear that someone they see Coach Duffy, uh, that, that she has been through that adversity and her response to that. I'm sure you tell your players all the time because they go through injuries or issues and other things in, in life of how that outcome is, is, is predicated on your response. And so that's, I think that's great for me as I learned your story. I said, wow, you know, cause I keep the state champion, went to Notre Dame. Now she's on the way up in her career. Like where is her underdog story? I know you might have some other things, but that's a huge, 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 like you said, that that's your life. Like you said, senior in high school, like that is such a critical moment. And uh, sounds like you handled that really, really, your response was, was really good. So that's, it was yeah, great there, to there hear. Some good times and bad times with that, but you—that's one of the things you got to ask, you know, mom and dad in the house. How you know how easy or not easy it was to you know worry about this kid not being in the gym all the time. <laughs> yeah, we might have to go up I seventy five here and get to the Duffy <laughs> household and see what the real deal was. <laughs> so, I want to fast forward to current state? Um, you recently, well, last year you took over the the head job at uh, at Marquette, and obviously, you know, Marquette has has, has had some success in the past. Um, but talking about the adversity, you know, that you faced early on and, you know, we'll go back and talk about kind of the trajectory that's gotten you to Marquette, but, um, I'm going to go ahead and give you this plug because you were named, um, big East coach of the year. And I think that's, uh, that's an extremely awesome accomplishment, but going in, having to take over a program, can you talk about, you know, what it takes to go in and, you know, kind of what the first order of business was when you took over, Marquette and making sure that you were going to get the buy-in from your players and, you know, athletic department and, and fans and everyone else? Yeah, like you mentioned, Calvin, um, Marquette women's basketball historically ha- had been really good and had gone to the NCAA tournament for the last few years and, you know, was was ranked pretty high in the country. And, you know, the previous coach, Coach Keeger, decided to take a, another job. And, um, you know, an interesting kind of decision that I had to make when Marquette called me was, you know, can we keep this program going in the right direction? And what people didn't realize was um, not because there were any problems. We just lost six really, really good seniors to graduation. And when I say really good, I'm saying a, a 2000 point score, a 1900 point score, and then three 1000 point scores below them. So, I mean, we talk about a, a group of young women who were just flat out killing it during their careers. Right. And so you come into this situation and, you know, we had, you know, the first order of business, my first probably couple hours on the job was to 
to keep the current recruits and, you know, keep them excited about Marquette. And, you know, they're looking at me for the first time and I'm looking at them and I'm like, all right, are we going to make this partnership work? And, um, you know, just, just kind of in a lot of ways, building relationships very quickly. And, you know, there's a reason why those young players decided to come to Marquette, you know, from the institution side and from the basketball side. And I had to come in very quickly and, and earn their trust. And, and we had six freshmen on that list and really half of our roster. And then we have five returners who, were, were really chomping at the bit to step into different roles. They had kind of waited their turn and been in more reserve roles and coming off the bench and um, in front of these six uh, other stud seniors that just graduated. So just even building this new team and this new Marquette, it was, it was very, very difficult at times. But at the same time, you know, there's two ways you looked at the situation. Are we going to always dwell on like, oh, Marquette lost so much and what's Coach Duffy going to do? Or are we going to get to work and roll up our sleeves and say, okay, let's build the next great Marquette team. And, um, you know, we were picked very low in, in conference standings when Marquette was number one or two for a long, long time. And, you know, I, I think we got that, you talk about the underdog uh, mentality. We put that little chip on our shoulder and, and really we, we left it there, but then you, you can talk about what it means to be an underdog or put that chip on your shoulder, but if your actions don't back it up. And so we just, we just went to work and we built great chemistry and, you know, every day tried to get a little bit better. And, and I, I tell you what, I've, I've been on a lot of different teams as a player and a coach, and uh, it was so rewarding to watch our team from last spring, you know, to this March um, with their growth and, and just, the roles they they evolved into and just just the people they've they've become was was pretty special is it um is it true that day one practice you laced them up because i we hear so much about you know how good of a teacher you are every quote that i read that would talk about you and what you've done is you know how how good of a teacher you are and i believe obviously being a teacher is one who's going to get in the foxhole you know and fight with your team at any time so is that is that a true statement that you got into the uh, you you laced them up and got out there with your players? Is that something you do often, or talk about I guess your player development from that? Yeah, end. that that is a very true statement. You know, during the the actual season, I you know I'm I'm very much engaged in practice, obviously running it, but I try not to you know get in too much. We have guy practice players. We have you know twelve or thirteen of our players who you know, really, you know, need the time. But, you know, these are spring and summer workouts where we're really honing in on skill and getting those competitive juices going. And, you know, anytime I can lace them up and, you know, whether it's making passes or, you know, if we're doing a post workout and I can run the point for our, our post players and drop some dimes, um, I love to get, keep that going so I don't lose my touch a little bit. And, you know, but at the same time, I, I'm very, very self-aware that my days are over and, and my knowledge and, and teaching ability is, is the most important part for my team. And, but you got to be able to mix it up and have fun sometimes. And, um, you know, the mind right now for me works better than the body does. Right. Um, but I still, you know, still haven't lost the, the lefty jumper and, you know, just, just having fun out there with them and, and letting them see me in a different light uh, is good sometimes too. Just have flashbacks of that lefty jumper in, in the CJ gym. <laughs> oh, I, w I would die to see her just take you to school. I would love it. I would love every I part never of put it. myself in that situation. <laughs> yeah, I, w I wouldn't have either. But one thing, uh, Coach Duffy, I wanted to touch upon, you said, uh, you know, uh, at the end of your opening press conference when you took the job at Marquette, you said you want to make sure, um, see things you don't see in yourself quite yet to your players. Kind of take us through, because that was stated before the season, obviously, and then we able, obviously, you had a successful season and you were named, you had the honor of being the Big East uh, Coach of the Year. 
Um, how did you get that? I guess from a leadership perspective, I'm curious, and I think a lot of the people listening, how were you able to get that out of your players? What maybe uh, others haven't been able to see that or them other out of themselves? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it obviously starts with, with the staff you put around you. And, you know, we were, um, you know, very clear that our investment in our players, both on and off the court, were going to be first and foremost, the most important thing. And whether, you know, they needed a rebounder, you know, late at night or, you know, we had to help them find their way around Marquette or Milwaukee. Um, just we had to make sure that those players really, really understood that, you know, for myself down to, you know, our managers and, you know, support staff that we were going to have, have their backs. And um, I think it started with building, building those relationships first and, you know, just really trying to get them to understand that, you know, part of coaching and part of, um, you know, pushing them to their, their limits is there's going to be some really hard days. And, you know, um, I think one of the cool things about being a teacher and a motivator is we have a, maybe a different perspective than an 18 to 21 year old. So when they think they've, they can't go anymore or, you know, we're pushing them to see things from a different light or different, different angle. Um, you know, you've built that relationship so they, be, they begin to trust you and listen. And sometimes all these little lessons click, you know, 10 years from now, and sometimes you can get them, you know, by the time they leave you in four years. But I think it started with that. And, you know, I've always tried to find the balance and, and really have tried to kind of, you know, exude to my staff too, is, is you, you can't be crazy intense all the time. And, you know, you got to know what buttons to push with each player. And, and that's what I love about basketball teams, because it's not, I look at you, uh, Calvin, and you're on a, on a team, you guys both with like, you know, 100 guys on a football team. And I think that's the greatest thing about basketball is we have, you can have these intimate relationships with, you know, 12 or 13 young women and really hone in on different things they can do, um, you know, off the court and finding their passions or, you know, getting their pick and roll game a little bit better or their, their rebounding skills. So it's, it's just a, a great, a great balance. But um, I think if, you know, most of my players, if you ask them, you know, they know I'm a hundred percent, you know, committed into them and, and getting them better. And, you know, the, the, the times you got to hug and hug and love them up. And then those other times where you got to, you know, stick it to them a little bit to, to make them understand how much more they can give are, are pretty great moments. And I think one thing I found out through your body of work, the servant leadership, you talked about that as well, how important that is for your program. And I think you've always led by example as well. You think from the playing days and then obviously the success, you're one of four players in school history at Notre Dame, a thousand points, 500 assists and 200 steals. So you've done it. So a lot of your players, we found, I found that really unique because I think it's hard to always be a player and a great coach. And I've seen that. And then, um, but it's also as a player looking at a coach that never walked in your shoes, you always had that kind of, at least in my opinion, some variance. But can you kind of talk about being a great player to now being a great coach and how that's maybe helped you develop uh, young women into being better people and better players? Yeah, I think I have a little bit different perspective because, you know, I, I got to obviously play in the WNBA and overseas and play professional basketball, but I wasn't one of the elite of the elite on that side. And I know that sounds, that's funny because I made it, but I think the the work and the sacrifice and how much extra I had to put in to even survive to make it to that level is kind of a unique experience. And, you know, so I, I can really relate when, whether it's in recruiting or, you know, within our own players that they, they want to play pro ball and, and, you know, I can easily probably 
sit there for hours and tell 50 to 100 stories about, you know, why people make it or why they don't or, you know, just the, the ups and down moments. So that, that's pretty cool. And, and, you know, a lot of our roles is to kind of be storytellers and just take some of your experiences and not only my, my own, but, you know, former players I played with or against and, you know, just you kind of see their trajectory and their path. So I, I really try and give them different perspectives and, you know, play devil's advocate a little bit with some things on, you know, what it takes to get up to that high level. But um, I think even when I was a player, I still knew, you know, my vocation or my passion was going to be in some form of helping young people or coaching. And I think that's the coolest thing about, you know, you bring up stuff as a player, but, but now I've kind of surpassed that with, you know, just my, my drive and my, my passion now to, to be on that coaching side. And as anybody who's coached and, you know, whether it's, you know, little kids or middle school or high school or college, like it's, it's, it's a grind and um, you know, it's a, but it's also a, a rewarding, rewarding uh, profession as well. You, so the, uh, the WNBA just, you know, had recently passed the, the new uh, collective bargaining agreement and a lot of things that they discuss, I think are showing where women's sports are going. Um, you know, basically what it means to be a professional female athlete. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, their, their moms or a lot of them are now entrepreneurs in different, you know, going down different avenues. Can you touch on, you know, just kind of where you see the game going from that perspective? Because a lot of times we turn the TV on and all we see is the athlete, but, and again, as we know, the WNBA doesn't get as much pub as it should, and it's getting to that point, but can you elaborate on, you know, some of those things that I just touched on being a mom an entrepreneur and, really the other side of the fence when that we don't really get to see? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the WNBA at this point, obviously we, we hit the coronavirus uh, these last few months, but just the talent in the league and the quality of play is, is phenomenal. And, and just how, you know, businesses and, and the league in general invested in these women um, for a bigger picture um, with some things they made in the, the new collective bargaining agreement was, was phenomenal, just getting the pay up a little bit higher and, you know, giving these women support if they want to have families. I mean, the, the ability to, to play their, their sport and their craft at the highest level and still be a mom and still, you know, do some other things that can help them financially, whether that's, you know, an entrepreneur situation or, you know, be able to start their own business when their playing careers are over. Like, you guys can't even believe how phenomenal some of these women are um, in the league. And I know, like you said, you turn it on for a quarter and hopefully we'll get, you know, more viewership over, over the years as the league continues to grow. But the stories behind it, I, I just, I just hope that, you know, that continues to get out of just women from all walks of life who have been underdogs, who have, you know, fought through adversity or, or, or making a name for themselves. And, and I've done it most times in a very hard way. It hasn't been given to them. And, you know, you hear stories about women having to go overseas and, you know, live that lifestyle, which isn't always glamorous um, to make ends meet. So I think it's it's no better time to jump on board and support it and, and just, um, you know, dig in a little bit more than just the surface meaning of, you know, watching a women's basketball player and, and really dive into these phenomenal role models and, uh, and leaders. Wait, no, we're waiting on Mama Duffy. <laughs> no, I, it's amazing like to like you said let's let's shine light where it should be you know shined on which is female athletes in, in the product like you said what I've watched and I've seen uh the development of the game and then also I think like you said there's so many great stories of inspiration that you know 
should be, you know, known and that will drive hopefully future female athletes. So hopefully that will, and I know I've been reading up on it as well. And there's been a lot more conversation where I think that's where it starts. Now there's action. So it's great to hear with the bargaining agreement and the different things. Where do you see kind of touching that's a professional side? Let's go back to kind of college. I was curious about, you know, kind of the, you know, things that are going on right now and the constraints of, you know, athletic budgets with this, with, uh, with the coronavirus and everyone being impacted, all sports, where do you see, I guess, women's basketball in the landscape of coming out of this and, and whatnot? I was just really curious about that. Your thoughts. Yeah, there, there's been obviously some, some really difficult moments these last couple months with COVID-19 and, you know, it's, there's, there's no way around talking about it, you know, schools and universities and budgets are going to get hit hard, at least temporarily. I think that's the big thing, you know, being able to, you know, kind of weather the storm. And I, I just look at our leadership at Marquette. They're constantly trying to find different ways to, you know, still put our student athletes at the, the highest, highest level and first and foremost, everything they deserve. And yeah, but there, there's been some, some tough moments with, with this and we hope, um, you know, we can kind of bounce back and, and that's we meaning everybody across the country, no matter what sport you're talking about. So, um, you know, we've had to be creative. I think the big thing for us coaches too, is we had to be really patient and let this kind of evolve a little bit and, you know, keep, keep our players close to us, even though we're, we're, you know, all remote in some ways, but, um, you know, I, I don't have a lot of answers of, of where this thing is going, but I, I know, you know, I just, I just hope that, you know, not too many schools are really going to be, um, you know, looking at their sports differently from when they did just three months ago, you know, you hope you continue to just kind of weather this and get the financial piece back up and running and, and we can go back to some sort of normalcy soon. Sure. No, I know if one thing, uh, the big East and, and, and coach Duffy are going to grind through. So <laughs> I know I can't wait to see where you guys are going through. And I would be reminisced if, if I didn't mention the Miami university tie here, cause we're both Miami alums. So thank you for your, your service to, uh, our alma mater and uh don't hate me for doing this but she was at michigan too oh my gosh okay <laughs> i got a lot of, I got a lot of weird allegiances you know? yeah grad you worked at michigan um, love and honor though i'll always have a special place yeah. in my heart for the red hawks and loved go. my time there and you know we re rebuilt that program and uh, a, lot of good one, people, a lot of good people come out of it i, I hear that is true i like what that, you did yeah. there we like what you did i'll tell you the one thing i don't miss about miami in miami you're kick me for saying this, but is Millette Hall running as a football team? I don't think anyone misses Millette Hall, but anyway, that's another subject. The darkest around um, in America. Yeah. But <laughs> man, that, that, that was like the toughest time. So I, I always would see, we had 5 a.m. runs in, in Millette Hall uh, back when we played. It sounds like I'm getting old now, but uh, yeah, I remember puking in uh, the hallways of Millette Hall and never, I don't miss those days. I'll tell you that much. So now, I will say, so you didn't just turn around Miami. Um, you got in Miami to the best win turnaround in the nation as a rookie head coach. Um, and it says that only you were one of four coaches to do so, and the other three were, were males. So congratulations on obviously, you know, taking the job and, you know, being able to have success early. And as Ryan Hawk one of our mentors always says, you know, continually sustaining that excellence. Um, maybe just touch on what you were able to do there, you know, as a rookie head coach. How were you able to jump in and really turn things around and really uh, take the program on that trajectory? 
I really, like I said, enjoy my time at, at Miami. And as a first time head coach, you're, you're learning a lot about yourself and, you know, you have a visions as an assistant of what you think this should look like when you get on your, you know, have your first program. And, and then you get there and you're like, okay, let's <laughs> just start over and clear the, clear the air and, you know, figure things out as you go. And I kind of joke when I say that, but, um, you know, I, I think, you know, Miami previously had a, had a, a few years that just weren't going as well as they had hoped. And I think the big thing is, you know, you came in with a, a toughness about yourself to, you know, hire, um, you know, people who were like-minded like you that wanted to win, that wanted to put in the time with our student athletes. And a little bit, it's just deprogrammed the mental side with some of our players. We had some talent and we had to get them kind of thinking and walking a little bit differently and, you know, put in the work and the sacrifice it would take to be, um, in positions to win more ball games. And I know um, that those group of young women worked extremely hard and bought in. And, um, you know, I love just seeing them similar to how we're doing at Marquette, just watching them improve and grow every day. And, you know, and they were in some games that they were almost shocked when they won. And I go, no, this is how it's going to be now. Like you've, you've earned the right to, to beat some really good, good teams. And, you know, we made it to postseason play both years and, uh, just, just really fun to see just the energy come back into Millette Hall, you know, and it's not as dark as it was probably when you guys were there. Um, but that was a great home court advantage. And um, I, I just think I, I look back at my time there and I know I'm, you know, a, a better coach now at Marquette because of those days and learning and, you know, really honing my, my skills as a, as a head coach as well. And I think that's an, another knowledge nugget here, the mental approach. I heard you say that in, when you were a senior in high school, and now I'm hearing you say it now as a current head coach of Marquette, previously at Miami, is the mental side of things. So if you're in business and you're listening to this, the mental, it's not all just, you know, all just physical effort. That is a huge, huge piece of it. But the mental side of it and being mentally prepared, honing your craft, finding the nuances, I just think that's something to take away from this podcast and Coach Duffy is, the consistency of the mental approach, you know, in, in, uh, in, in correlation with the physical uh, approach, if you're in sports or in, in business, if you're in, you know, sales with effort, you know, there's a huge piece of mental. I think people don't understand that whether it's sports or business or life is just the mental preparation is just so underrated in my opinion or underestimated or not really enough time and attention. You know, obviously mental health has been a big state, uh, of affairs in the world and obviously sports in particular. But I think that's also something I really have found uh, really consistent, Coach Duffy, in your, in your body of work. And really, I think that's something for someone to take away from this podcast. So thank you for you know, consistently reinforcing that. Um, but now I think it's time for rapid fire. What do you think? I was going to take your transition, but I, I stumbled. So. CJ, <laughs> CJ Hot Seat. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll kick it off. So at the end of each podcast, Coach Duffy, we do a little fun rapid fire session. Coach Blackman over here, I think, did most of these since it's a CJ. So hopefully he didn't, he didn't take it uh, too hard on you, but I don't, it doesn't look too bad. So I'll, I'll kick it <laughs> off. Appreciate it. Um, says, big golfer, what do you shoot? Uh, do you play as much as Jordan did in the last dance? <laughs> I don't bet as much money. I know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a maybe mid eighties, low nineties player. I don't get to play as much as I like, but great game right there. She's beating you yeah, not only at basketball <laughs> and golf. So it's no seat. Don't even get around no her. Secret. Don't even go into Milwaukee or anywhere near. I've been watching her career for a long time. There's no secret. She's a better athlete than me and you and me. Yeah. I have to say that too. So you're a foodie. Um, one thing you mentioned, I think it was in your press conference when you first got into town, 
Um, you flew in, you flew over, you know, a bunch of, past a bunch of restaurants. What's your, I guess, what, you know, what is your, what is your weak spot or, you know, what's your favorite, what's your go-to your meal? Yeah, my weak spot, and I try not to do this too much, is uh, a good good order of wings. Um, we got a couple awesome spots in uh, downtown that, man, if you want the dry rub, if you want the flavor, like all different um, types. So we sneak off as a staff here and there to try some different ones. So that's, uh, that's a pretty good weakness of mine. Have you have you been uh, a little side tangent here? Because our old, one of our first guests was Neil Walker, played for the Brewers for about a year. And I went to a couple games up there, but have you ever been to a Brewers game? Those are crazy. Those are awesome. Well, that was uh, my first spring and summer here in Milwaukee. Was a little busy with the job, so a lot of things were supposed to happen. <laughs> I've not been to a Brewers game, but um, I can't wait. The atmosphere, the tailgating scene, apparently is. Just as crazy as like if you go up to a Packers game. So yeah, people are really into it here, which is awesome. Exactly. And I just wanted to mention that because it came to my mind because I was I was rolling up, right? So never been to Milwaukee before. I go up to, to see him play in the Brewers and I'm like going up. I thought it was a football game. There's all these people out there tailgating. I was like, that doesn't happen here in Cincinnati or Cleveland or Pittsburgh where I've been to baseball games. They're legitimately everywhere tailgating, grilling out, look like great food, walking through the parking lot. I'm like, this is a sports town. So I can see why they say we are Marquette in Milwaukee and everything about it. It's, it's a sports town. I, I, it blew my mind. Never thought I'd see tailgating like that in baseball for a regular season game on a Saturday against the Pittsburgh Pirates. It was wild. And you typically don't hear anything negative about you know, Milwaukee you know, from a sports perspective either. So that doesn't surprise me where – you know, it's not, it's not the same when you talk about Cincinnati or Cleveland. So, <laughs> we got some winning teams over here in Yonkers right. town. Yeah, so right, we're absolutely. Good shape. Um, a little bit back back to your DNA. Uh, morning routine. What is your morning routine? A couple things. Uh, I'm either carving some time to work out, or I've uh, really tried to kind of change a little bit of my routine since COVID hit of getting up and reading. Um, in the morning, at least a chapter of a book and kind of set my mind right for the day before I get cranking out uh, all the things that a head coach has to do. And, and what we learned before the podcast, she's going to listen to the underdog. That's what she said. Yeah, so yeah, just kidding. <laughs> but we know, we know now because you love, you love uh, CJ and this crazy guy named Kyle, but uh, no, that's great. And it, it, it's good to see the adjustment, right? Something she just said there too. We had to adjust. We're jumping over high school fences here. Now that they're open, we don't have to jump anymore. If you follow him online, Coach Duffy, he, he's jumping fences to get our workouts in, which I love. So I don't know if he did that at CJ, but now he's, he's working hard. 40's coming, coming fast, so I'm just trying to stay young. <laughs> you said it, not me. <laughs> um, so Kobe Bryant, the late Kobe Bryant, uh, mentioned that he believes that he believed that Gigi would have you know, been the first young lady to, to get a chance to play in the NBA. Um, what are your thoughts on that potentially happening one day? Oh man, it's just when you mentioned Kobe, it makes me, makes me sad every time I think about it, that he's, he's passed. Um, you know, I, I don't, uh, to be honest with you, I, I don't think, you know, we maybe need to be in the NBA. I, I, I think it'd be a, maybe a cool story. And, you know, the fact that Kobe said that about his daughter is pretty awesome, but I love what we're doing here in women's hoops, whether that's the WNBA or, or college athletics. And I think we get so much into comparing and, you know, saying, you know, she can beat this guy versus just kind of appreciate each individual athlete and each team. And 
Um, obviously, we want to open up any door that's that's possible for our women. But yeah, I, I don't know if it's a direct correlation of success if you if you make it in the NBA. But just want to keep our our pro game strong as any way we can. Love that. You awesome. that. Don't ask that last question. We already know we're not playing. Nobody's playing one on one. Why not? Why are you scared <laughs> to ask that? He wanted to know one on one who's winning. Coach Duffy or uh, Calvin Blackman here? <laughs> Man, I don't know. If he's jumping fences, I might might be in trouble. Uh, <laughs> no. Even if you watched the the horse games on ESPN earlier uh, when COVID started, I mean, Zach Levine, he's doing 360s. I feel like that would be Calvin, like doing, you know, 360 jams or something you like must, that. I wouldn't be must, able to keep up. <laughs> you must not have came to too many uh, CJ basketball games when you were in high school. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I never thought like speaking of that, I never thought I'd be watching like cornhole champions and like spike ball and I never thought I'd never see a day like this, but they're finding a way to, to, to keep us entertained. So well coach, appreciate your time. Uh, it, like I said, I think it's been twenty years since I've seen you. I don't think I've seen you since high school. Wow. Uh, but been following your career and obviously you're doing great things and have loved just seeing the success and obviously wishing you much, much more success and continually, you know, building the Marquette program, uh, you know, continue being a powerhouse and hopefully we'll get sports back soon. We can, we can turn the TV on and support you. And I can see you screaming at some more refs as I saw in a couple of Google pictures. <laughs> Keep doing your thing. <laughs> uh, with, this, with this smile, no way, but you know, Calvin, uh, Kyle, I really appreciate you guys having me on and it's cool to, to do these and uh, anything I can do to help down the road. Let me know. And sure, just speaking of support, how can people follow yourself and Marquette anywhere that people can engage with you and help? Uh, we'd love to help uh, Coach Duffy and Marquette basketball. So how do we do that? Yeah, we're uh, we're on Twitter and Instagram, Marquette WBB, and uh, you know Coach Megan Duffy, and we're all connected. All of our coaches, so you start following all of us, so it'd be a be a great thing. And you know, all of our games um, are in between YouTube or the Fox Fox Network when we get rolling again. So plenty of chances to, to see our, our young women out there. And thank you again. We, we do this a lot for coaches and, and you're an inspiration. You're, you're developing young women into fantastic people to enter this world, even if they don't go to the next level of the WNBA, just the, the mold and the mentorship you're offering these young women and, and making them much better people. Thank you again for being an inspiration to those and your continued success. Like I said, your meteoric rise is going to continue. I know after our meeting you today that uh, you're going to have nothing but continued success. So, Keep keep at it. Yeah, and I've got a four year old daughter, so I know <laughs> I know where to. Uh, yep, yep, yep. I know where to find you. <laughs> wow, so. class of who knows? Wow. Four years. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's who not. Who knows, <laughs> Yeah, who knows? Well, thank you again. All Appreciate right. it. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Underdog Podcast. Please subscribe and rate our podcast on the Apple and Google Podcast apps, and send our Twitter handle a screenshot of your rating at Underdog Pod with your shirt size for a chance to win a free t-shirt. See you next week on the UDP.